Assalamu alaikum. Hello, I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Shanaz Ibrahim and you're listening to AccidentalMuslims.com. Assalamu alaikum, Shanaz. Welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. Wa alaikum salam. And Zaid, co-host. Yes, uh, Khalil. Alhamdulillah. I just want to read you something, Khalil. Yeah. Uh, I trolled it off the guest's uh, uh, LinkedIn profile. And it says, A media and communications all-rounder with a passion for affecting social change through creative and impact-driven storytelling. If you're not interested in this guest right now, then I think you're something wrong, but... Uh, Alhamdulillah, uh, Shanaz, welcome to our podcast, welcome to our show. Uh, we're really um, happy that you accepted our invitation, so sit back, relax, enjoy, and don't stop talking. <laughs> Shukran so much for having me. Um, I'm quite excited. I've been following your podcast series quite closely since you guys launched. You guys are doing amazing work. Um, I think it's, as I was telling you, it's something that we as media consumers in this community really need. So, you know, um, I tip my hat off to you guys, and I'm looking forward to you know, the next um, few episodes of AccidentalMuslims.com. Thank you. So, who is Shanaz Ibrahim? Okay, so if you... Well, if you're going to ask my parents, my dad may just deny the fact that I'm his daughter. <laughs> because that's kind of been his M.O. It's like, oh, do you know, um, is Shanaz your daughter? And he's like, what did she do? Because if she did something wrong, no, you know, um, she's not related to me. But um, I grew up in Athlone. I, my parents, um, Ali and Coulson, they are out in uh, Thornton, living Thornton Road. Um, my dad runs Alpine Printers. My mom, everybody knows my mom. She was around as well. So um, my family is all situated practically everywhere around the islands and the surrounds. Um, I grew up in Athlone. I went to Sunnyside Primary School. Very proud of it because I started my fencing um, career there. Um, and then I went to San Susi Girls High School way before the hair debacle and all that stuff <laughs> happened with the former previous principal. And then I went off to study sound engineering, qualified as a sound engineer. And then I kind of just fell into journalism. Uh, you know, usually people say that, you know, you chose a certain career path and things like that. But I literally fell into journalism. Um, when I qualified as a sound engineer, I was volunteering at uh, Voice of the Cape Radio. And from there, I actually started producing jingles and was writing radio ads for them. But then I started assisting the newsroom with producing features. And that's kind of when the journalism bug kind of bit. Then the after, I actually went to study further. So I did a BA in English and Cultural Studies, specializing in English and history and um, sociology. I just loved studying um, historical things, research, how to use research elements to tell a story. And then I actually thought that, you know, studying at UWC would actually help me because I was interested in media because of the radio. Um, And then I found out that Stellenbosch was running a BFIL course in journalism, which is an honors degree in journalism, specializing specifically in journalism. And I went on to do that. Um, Alhamdulillah, so many years later, I'm back at Stellenbosch University now doing my third year master's degree in journalism, specializing in media management. So that's just kind of a little bit yeah. of me. And You said you volunteered. What was your first job, your paid job? You know, my first paid job was probably working in my aunt's takeaways in Rylands mm-hmm. for um, probably like a 20 rand or something. But for that mm-hmm. 20 rand, it was like, 
you know, it was so worth it was it was worth so much back then because I knew I was actually doing something that was helping someone else. And that twenty rand for me, I think it was just to like get enough money so that I could like pay competition fees for fencing because obviously you had to pay a entry fee, you know, when you wanted to compete. So I remembered like that twenty rand being like my saving grace sometimes. Um, I also worked at the fabric shop um, while I was studying and doing my BA. I volunteered for a very long time at the radio station for I think easily three to four years with no salary whatsoever and I remember starting off with a nominal stipend of about maybe 500 rand then a thousand rand or so so it was never about the money but it was actually about the experience I was gaining Mm -hmm. so um, when I looked at the radio station and the amount of things that I used to do over there I started off actually um, writing scripts and using my sound engineering background to produce really good quality um, radio ads and then from there I um, assisted in the marketing and sales department a little bit with um, actually scheduling radio ads and speaking to um, potential sponsors for Jumois and, um, you know, the Vicage um, sponsors on a Thursday night. And then from there, I kind of moved into programming and started working on a Saturday live program with the late Manadia and Mohammed Zain. And I used to do a lot of reviews, whether it was a movie review or coffee shops or like just new interesting trends that we found the Muslim community kind of gravitating towards. So that was quite fun. And then from there, like the my on-air profile kind of grew. And then I started moving into doing a little bit more news features, but on the, um, you know, in, within the, on the production side. So, um, but yeah, my first paying job, 20 rand, mm-hmm. working in a takeaways. Should I say, you mentioned something quite, uh, and you said uh, volunteering is how you started, mm-hmm. how you got your first breakout, I, I, I would term it, um, and volunteering gave you the experience. What else does volunteering, not only at the radio station or anywhere, what do you think can it, it can um, bring to a person or a person's personality? Wow, um, you know, for me, it actually, as much as you guys think I'm an extrovert, because I think maybe my social profile thing, you know, kind of like portrays that, I was very much an introvert, and I think I didn't really know who I was or what I wanted to do. It was very weird going to my dad when I was in matric to say, Daddy, I want to be a DJ. And I Ali nearly had a heart attack. <laughs> but um, the, the, the funny thing is that um, volunteering for me kind of to, forced me to, to get out of my own shell. And because we are raised in such conservative environments and we, we kind of limited in uh, what we can basically explore and do, especially being um, you know a young girl coming from a traditional Indian Muslim family household, um, I was very, very fortunate that my parents never stopped me from trying anything or, or you know exploring various options. Volunteering for me was very, very important because I kind of started figuring out who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do in life. And I think that I also was forced to interact with people outside of my community and outside of my household. So I always joked and I said, you know what, I never had any Indian friends at school because most of my time was actually spent on a Saturday at a fencing competition. And I was actually volunteering as a fencing coach as well. So I could actually teach other kids, you know, which, you know, whether they were under nines or under elevens, you know, just the basic techniques of fencing. Because at the time, um, our club in the area was doing very, very well. And we were, you know, we had some of the top ranking fencers coming from Athlone. And they needed more, um, you know, assistant coaches to try and, 
you know, garner more support and get more, um, you know, young kids involved. So for me, um, volunteering took me out of my comfort zone. It forced me to interact with other people. It forced me to communicate with other people. And I think it was very important because along the way, I started actually kind of figuring out who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. So let me get this right. Fencing, not jumping over the fence. Fencing no, the actual sword. like Zorro Musketeer kind hmm. of fencing. Wow. Yeah. So tell us about that. I mean, I, I, first time I, I've met someone doing fencing. So. Yeah, no, I, you know what? <laughs> I started fencing at, at primary school. I think I was probably in grade three or grade four. I think it was standard one or standard two at the time. And um, there was a teacher at Sunnyside Primary School. Her name is Glenda Peters. And she won the world championships in Israel in the 1970s. And um, at the time, she was teaching at Sunnyside Primary and she started uh, fencing as an extracurricular activity. And we just got an announcement one afternoon to say, if you're interested in fencing, you know, come to the hall and, you know, come check it out. And I was very, you know, nuskirach, as they say. <laughs> so um, it was quite fun because I went and I saw and I thoroughly enjoyed what I was seeing there. I think my dad may have tried to, like, dissuade me from starting it, but after a while, they just gave up. And, you know, alhamdulillah, it's, it's actually taken me up to see so many places in the world. I... Um, I fenced in, um, I competed rather in the Junior Olympics in Moscow in 98. And um, I think people know Ibti Haj Mohammed from the US now that was in the uh, the US Olympic team that won bronze um, in the last in the Olympics last year. Um, and it's amazing to see just how much attention she was given. Back then when we were, when I was fencing, there was no such media spotlight, which I think was a good thing, you know, at the end of the day. But again, it was one of the most liberating and exhilarating experiences because um, I went in, um, I toured Europe, I went to Amsterdam, I've seen places, I went to, you know, parts of, I stayed in Luxembourg where we um, attended a high performance um, sports camp. I fenced in, in Amsterdam, we saw parts of Europe that I don't think, um, I think people um, tuning in is probably just dreaming of actually seeing or they maybe read about it in a book or so. And um, I was, nothing of that, none, none of this could have actually happened without the support of my parents. And I think um, Uncle Ali and Auntie Kulsum, they're probably very, very happy that, alhamdulillah, I'm married and settled now and, you mm. know, I'm not jumping on a plane anyway. But, um, you know, it's it's been one of those really, really nice experiences because from fencing, it just kind of snowballed. I started, um, I got my accreditation as a fencing coach. So I was coaching for a while. And while I was coaching, I was, you know, getting more kids into, you know, trying to at least coach them and get them into the sport as well. The Your coach, uh, Glenda Peters, if I'm right, yeah. she announced it and she said, let's start fencing. That's the one thing. Second thing is you indicated that she was a mom to you during your teenage, teenage years. And then the third thing you mentioned was, you actually started training younger kids. Yeah. Question to you then is, do you see yourself as a mentor? Did you have a mentor? And what is the importance of mentorship if you believe in it? I very much believe in mentorship. I don't believe that there is enough emphasis put, especially in a working environment now these days. I don't think that there is enough emphasis put on mentorship, um, especially for the youth. Having worked as a journalist and having worked in the community as an aid worker, I mean, I, I worked as a communications person 
for um, NGOs and stuff. And you get to see and interact with people on various levels. And you realize that, you know, if there was only one person that is, you know, taking a young boy or young girl under their wing and, you know, kind of like helping them along, not necessarily giving them, you know, a, a stack of books and paying for the bursary, but sitting with them and helping them throughout the educational journey or so. I think it, it is more impactful. Um, Glenda, for me, was one of those women who had, she was, I mean, and I think, you know, I appreciated the relationship she had with my mom because my mom knew that, okay, when, if I'm at fencing, Coach Peters is there and my daughter will be okay. Um, my mom allowed me to travel for fencing. I had to go up to Bloemfontein and Durban and Johannesburg constantly um, because we had to uh, compete in a certain amount of national tournaments to get, you know, um, points and all that stuff to, to actually qualify to compete in competitions like um, a world championships and the junior Olympics. And all along, my mom couldn't actually, I think I remember they did a road trip with us one. We threw all the fences in the, in a bus and we went up to Bloemfontein and my mom being like the Indian mom that she is came with pots and pans and everything. <laughs> so we actually had like home cooked food, you know, on that fencing tour. And it was unbelievable because it was the first time that she actually saw what we were doing. Um, and because she had other children, I couldn't expect it to be there at every single fencing competition. But I also appreciated the fact that she trusted my coach, as in Glenda, you know, that um, to, that she was there and she was keeping an eye on me. But I feel that um, if I didn't have that mentorship, whether it was in fencing and, um, you know, later on in my career, um, the Lake Monaria became a really, really, really good friend and a much she was more impactful in terms of my journalism career as a mentor. I don't think I would be where I am today if it wasn't for those two women. So you, you, you mentioned the importance of mentorship. I always think of the quote that I think this Josh Shipp is one of those very famous famous youth speakers. And he mentions that a child is one caring adult or mentor away from success. And that's true. Um, no, very much. I, I, I've experienced it personally, and I'm, I'm purely talking from experience here. I feel also um, from a professional perspective... I was always hesitant about journalism, I must be honest, because I came in as, uh, I qualified as a sound engineer, and I was very disappointed because I couldn't find work immediately. At the time when I qualified, most of the positions available were at nightclubs, and it was um, live sound events. So there were music concerts at the velodrome, and you could actually double up as a, as a you know, whether you were working on rigging or, you know, making up cables or whatever the case may be. But I also felt that as a Muslim, I'm Muslim first, and that, that was a very uncomfortable place for me to be. Um, walking on a set, for example, I I worked on some um, TV commercials. Also, again, with my fencing coach, because we used to choreograph fencing scenes for TV ads. And that was also just one of those things that Glenda said, you know what, you got a knack for doing this, so come along with me and, you know, let's let's try and work on something on this together. Um, again, it wasn't, I wasn't that I was, it wasn't that I wasn't comfortable there. I just felt that as from a Muslim perspective, I didn't feel that I wanted to interact or go to a nightclub and work over there. Um, I did one live event um, and I remember coming home at like six or seven in the morning because you had to work throughout the night and it was, you had to wait until the concert um, was done. It was at the Velodrome and then you start working and we started like basically taking off the set and like de-rigging and everything and I just felt very uncomfortable because it was an environment where there was alcohol and there was just 
just a whole lot of stuff that was unsavory and where I was coming from, although I came from a very conservative household, I still felt that I was still very open-minded, So, but I knew that my parents taught me well and I knew where to draw the line. After that experience, I knew that sound engineering, perhaps the way I always thought it would be, wasn't for me. And then, um, and that's, I kind of like went through a slump because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I think that's when um, I started getting involved with the radio stations. And it was quite nice because I kind of realized, and at that time, like, Muslim Radio was, was the heyday, I mean, 95, when all these, you know, everything went live and, you know, it was kind of like the, the pulse of Cape Town at, at the time. You had to be tuning into the radio station and there was amazing things happening on the radio. Not that there isn't anymore, mm. but I think there was just a different passion towards that was shown towards radio back then compared to now. Um, and I think that there was... Um, I kind of knew that that is kind of like the area where I wanted to be in. I always I knew going into sound engineering, I wanted to be in the radio because um, I qualified in about 98, 99, 99, 2000. I qualified as a sound engineer. But that was because of my volunteering days at Voice of the Cape from 95, 96 onwards. So I kind of knew where I wanted to be. Um, and I just felt that I, I felt very settled there because it was a wholesome environment. It was one where um, the whole community was involved. My father was involved through the masjid, through St. Athens Road. He was also involved, um, you know, on the station management level. And it was quite cool because it was something that um, I enjoyed doing. You know, I enjoyed going to the station. Whether it was like a random, you know, like, you know, answering the call during a a telethon or so, I just felt that I was actually doing something that was worthwhile. So sound engineering, three-year degree, four-year degree? I actually did, did, a one, I did a one-year um, diploma course here in Cape Town. Okay. And it was quite interesting because it, it was from everything, from live sound, how to mic up a drum kit, how to produce a radio ad using Pro Tools, how to, the differences between um, the different microphones that you get that's on the market, um, how to look at um, a room and figure out soundproofing and acoustic treatment, things like that. So I know one of the assignments we did was we were given like an empty shell and we literally had to develop a, like a sound treatment plan for that room. So um, that's why when I walked in and I told you, okay, you can do this, that and the other. It's because I kind of like feel like I kind of see it like happening. Um, the worst thing for me, though, is and I'm not lying to you, is going to a live show, whether it's a performance at the Baxter or a live um, performance at the Velodrome or wherever, and it's just a really poor quality sound. Mm-hmm. So, like, that really grates my carrot. I'm not lying to you. <laughs> I remember early on, um, I used to actually get up and go to the sound guy. And I tell him, I think there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. And they would look at me so funny because, like, who's this girl with a scarf staring at me and telling me how to do my job? So I just figured after a while, just ignored it because, you know, everything can't be perfect. So, so sound engineering, by the sounds of it, actually fitted into your volunteering and I would say your journalism as well. Definitely. Somehow it just came together. No, I, I never knew at that time where mm. it was going to take me. I, I felt very despondent. My mom would be the first one to tell you. And at the same time, it was, um, I was, I just, uh, my aunt randomly offered me a job at the fabric shop. She was like, you know what, come work for me. You're like, you, you, don't, you don't have anything to do. I need help. Which was like, okay, cool. No problem. And while I was there, I think I was there for about a year and a bit. And then I started kind of like thinking about like, what do I want to do? Because clearly the sound engineering wasn't panning out. And I was quite despondent because I'm like, yo, I paid so much money. I'll work for those fees and I got this thing, but I can't do anything with it. Also, the industry at the time wasn't very forthcoming to having a Muslim person 
kind of standing there and coming at the door and saying, look, yeah, I'm a sound engineer, give me a job. So um, it was quite funny because while I was there working for my aunt and then I realized, you know what, maybe I can use what I've learned over the years and my experience through volunteering at the radio station. Do people tell you that you're doing too much? Sometimes they do, but I think they don't also fully get me. Mm, um, mm. Many times I was told professionally, oh, no, 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 you're doing too much and you, you've got to slow down and whatever. I, I don't believe that that's the case. I mean, I look at my parents and they are, alhamdulillah, 65, 66 years old and they're still going. They're still working for the community. They're still trying to make a difference. And I think that's where I get my inspiration from because my mom and dad can easily say, oh, I'm well over the retirement age, but I don't think that they... Um, and they do get tired, but they will never tell you, you know what, that look here, I'm going to, I think I'm going to like hang up those cricket dogs. My dad's still talking about playing soccer on, on William Herbert, you know, and my mom is still cooking up a pot of curry somewhere. But, and at the end of the day, my, my dad just yesterday um, went to a mosque meeting on the last Tuesday of every month. We all know it's the mosque meeting and my dad is there. So... As much as I say, you know, I'm getting tired and maybe I'm doing too much, I have to look to my parents and I say, you know what, but they're still doing this, man. They've still got passion for what they what they believe in and what they want to do and um, making that change. So um, as long as they're going to be doing it and if they're running, alhamdulillah, for another 10 years or so, who am I to complain to say I'm doing too much or I'm getting tired? So I think it's it's, it's quite inspiring to, to look at your elders and see what they're doing and Try and emulate them as much as you can. Yeah, 100%. I look at my mom. She's still teaching at BBN Nursery School. And every year I tell her, Mom, this is last year. She is just my last year. Next year I'm going to resign. Next year I'm retire. And every year for the past 10 years, she's telling me, this is my last year. This is my last year. And something small like that really inspires you because you can see she's yet, you know, 60 odd. She's still driven to teach these young children. Yeah. I couldn't manage two children. She's managing 40. It's an amazing impact that uh, you mentioned your, your mom was a nursing school teacher. Just today, I, I ran into my nursing school teacher <laughs> and I greeted her. I still remember her. And uh, it was amazing. You never forget uh, people no. that has had an impact on your life. Eh? No, definitely not. I think that um, I look. Uh, if I just look in my family circle, I mean, um, all my aunts and uncles, no matter how what they're doing professionally, they're all constantly busy and they're all constantly working towards the same goal, which is, you know, trying to really make something and, and of themselves, of their families, um, of the community as well. I, I don't recall, um, I mean, my one uncle this week was featured in the newspaper for, you know, winning such a, a winning an accolade um, in medical photography. And he's the first African to do so. And I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe that's where I get the media genes from. Because I've been trying to question. I actually thought I was adopted at one stage. But <laughs> my mom and my dad, they just shake their heads. And like, okay, you, you, you be adopted. It's fine. But um, it's amazing to think that I've got an uncle who's actually this world-renowned scientist. And he's just like up the road now. Because he used to stay in Britain now the back here. But I mean, the amount of work and the dedication that is given to his craft and you know and is constantly improving and looking for more avenues of of research i think for me as now as a researcher i think it's amazing i get my mom's eldest sister and my dad's eldest brother they're constantly busy and what are they and and for them uh, uncle bai is 70 odd years old now but still cooking food and still trying to you know prepare that most perfect you know pot of soji for everybody because that's what they're known for and again like i think that um they just 
you know the the amount of energy that they infuse yeah. is something that's that's really admi- admirable i can just go back to to journalism just something i picked up in the last 5 years there's a lot of female journalists out there mm. and there's an increase in muslim female journalists as yeah. well and in particular one i like to follow the daily box yes um why do you think that's the case you know what, what's the success behind it i think journalism in the last 5 years have become, has become very trendy you know um with the change in the media landscape globally um with the with the internet and with digital media new age media it's been amazing to see that there's just so many more avenues available um as potential professions but also in terms of avenues of communication i think journalism when i started journalism and when i wanted to do journalism um I must be honest people were very hesitant they were like are you sure you want to be a journalist like you know there's medicine and there's law and there's accounting and all that stuff but I also felt that there's a lot of people that settled for the more traditional professions because it was just the norm in this in in the community at the time or in society at the time um and I mean I I feel that with journalism and especially the amount of female journalists that's currently coming up um in the fault Khadija Patel being um you know appointed as um editor of the Mail and Guardian has been absolutely phenomenal especially for for female journalists and especially muslim journalists in South Africa um Konita Hanta as well being um a senior reporter at the Sunday Times I think a senior political reporter at the Sunday Times I think it's been amazing I just feel that um these peers shouldn't you know deter the kids from studying what they want to study i think many at times and i've seen it i've seen it with my own family that um often you know people are given a choice oh do you want to do this or do you want to do that and often yes that you 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 need to make your parents happy but also you got to be happy yourself somewhere deep down you have to figure out what you want to do um in terms of just coming back to your 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 question about female journalists i think that um over the last 2 years there's been the sudden boom of female journalists um social activists on twitter as well um and they actually leading to serious discussions whether it is about fees must fall or rose must fall it's actually female activists standing in front and saying you know what this is what we believe in and this is what we're calling for and i think that is so interesting because 10 years ago there was no women standing in front and if you think about it maybe in our more traditional um institutions that's still also predominantly led by men um it's that's still the case but these days it's quite interesting to see that that political and that social um, activism arena it's changing dramatically and i think that that's quite something that that's definitely something that um should be applauded so i'm asking maybe a stupid question can you be a successful journalist without being on social media at this stage uh no i don't think so Um I use social media and I know this this is one of your questions around my use of social media. Um somebody actually thought I worked for Facebook at the stage at one stage which was so funny. I wish I was working for Facebook. Then I didn't have to be a journalist. I mean, people would think that journalists get paid a lot of money, definitely not. You know these these I'm honest uh, honestly there's no money in journalism. I want to tell you from becoming a journalist but I just feel that if you think you're going to make money very very quickly it's definitely not the job for you. Um you got to be passionate about it and um I just love telling stories. I love sitting down with somebody and actually getting to know them and to get and getting to know their story and just sharing it with the world and I feel social media is one way of using 
Um, social media is one platform that you can use to share someone's story. I've become recently very selective in terms of how often I am on social media and what I do post on social media. Not because of anything, I, but I know that there's just been, um, I've just personally taken a step back from social media in terms of what I post in that. Um, however, to be successful as a news, as a reporter or as a journalist or as just a social commentator, you kind of need the social media platform to share your views because sometimes newspapers these days are not as prolific as they once were about 20 years ago. Radio stations at this stage is 20 years in and they're also kind of going through this identity crisis. And um, you kind of have to create an online profile and an online brand to then to kind of like be seen as a commentator in a certain area or to, to kind of like have your area of expertise and give yourself an avenue to, to, to share your views in a sense. But definitely you can't be a journalist and not be on social media. How would you describe yourself in three words? Talkative. Um, fun. And I would probably say very, very loyal. So you, you also mentioned you, you were not, you're not an extrovert, so you're an introvert. I used, I think I, I used to be, I consider myself to be an introvert. Yeah. And I think my family would tell you that I was, I mean. Yeah. But so how did you find that confidence to, you know, go out and find those stories and speak to strangers? Does it come with experience? Or, like, what drove you to, to go out and, you know, hone that skill? I think what would help a lot was having mentors like Linda and, and Munadia holding, not necessarily holding your hand. It was more about like throwing you in the deep end and like saying, you know what, you have to go to the taxi rank and you need to go get Fox Pops from 20 people about, you know, how is it to, to ride in a taxi. And you can't actually at the time challenge your editor because the editor's given you an assignment to do. At the same time, when I studied, I studied at Stellenbosch. So I stayed on campus and I was really focused in, in trying to hone myself as a, you know, to the best of my ability to be the best journalist I could be. And a lot of people were saying at the time, yeah, but you don't have to go study journalism. You can just pick up a microphone or a pen and a piece of paper and you can just start asking questions. But for me, I felt that I actually, I was very theoretical about how I actually went about journalism because I was so afraid of failing again because of my experiences being having gone through sound engineering and not really you know landing up where I wanted to be so I was very very cautious in terms of how I actually kind of approached journalism it was the same thing I was fortunate enough that the course was so dynamic that you got to do multimedia you got to do television and radio and print um, and from layout to interviewing skills and stuff like that so I felt once I had that theoretical basis uh, it was easy for me then to apply it. And it was great having some, somebody like Manaria as a news editor at the time because she didn't hold back. She just said, you know what, you are now going to go to the MJC. You're now going to ask some questions. You're going to be the our halal reporter. Literally the halal reporter. Like, I'm not lying to you. I was the halal reporter. And um, I had to ask some of the most senior ulama in the Western Cape at the time some hard-eating questions around halal. And it was a matter of researching and and getting to know the content really, really, really well. And I think it was a matter of preparation so that when you do go up to them and you ask them those questions, you may not know, you may not be confident, you know, inside. You may be like trembling and your legs are jelly and whatever. But when you're sitting there, there across the table from the president of the MJC, you are that hard, you are the journalist and you're representing the community. 
And that's kind of the approach I took to all everything that I did. And slowly, 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 I kind of, and with the on air, I did a lot of work on air. I had to become confident because I couldn't sit there and like kind of whisper into the microphone and stuff like that. Because they would literally, like when I would say, right, Shanaz, read the news. The first news bulletin I read on Voice of the Gap was an absolute disaster. I was literally given a bulletin 10 minutes before I went on air. Never read a bulletin in my life. And it's when I was like, yeah, read it. You're going on air now. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to. She says, I'm your editor. And you can't say no. You must do it. And I went on air. And I think I did just, um, my if my colleagues are listening in, they'll probably be rolling on the floor with laughter because a seven-story bulletin became a two-story bulletin. And because there was no way I could get through that, that bulletin. But it was the best way ever of learning because... After that, it was a breeze because you kind of conquered that fear you had. Do you still have the recording on it? <laughs> you know what? I'm quite sure somebody must have it some way, but I, I've never gone back to it. <laughs> should I ask OFM? How did you end up there? OFM, wow. Um, OFM is a radio station in Bloemfontein. Probably the radio station in Bloemfontein. <laughs> So when I qualified, um, when I did my honours degree, um, uh, I had to do a one-month um, internship program. And I was the only journalist in that um, class of, um, you know, of, of my year that wanted to specialise in the radio. So one of the students I was studying with, her mom was the editor at the time at OFM or the news manager or something. And um, she actually contacted me and she says, look, I heard you want to do radio. I'm looking for a journalist and I can offer you the, your internship. So I said, cool. I went up for the month of December. I spent a month there because my internship was for, for a month. I kind of winged my way through Bloemfontein, I must be honest, because it was when I went there, it was one of those very, very, not, it wasn't a very approachable um, cities. It wasn't one of those approachable cities when it came when it came to halal and being Muslim. And yes, there was a masjid, but the community was very divided and stuff like that. And at the time, I actually stayed. I was house sitting for one of the imams, and he was actually in Cape Town with his family. And then um, along the way, they kind of came back. So I stayed with him for like another week or so. But it was quite interesting because OFM was probably where I really, really managed to get my journalism chops. You know, um, I got to drive all over the free state and the Vol Triangle. I covered mining stories. Um, I covered a story where um, there was a military, there was a shooting um, on one of the military bases and there was a gun that misfired and it actually shot a few soldiers. That was actually during a, a, a training um, session. So I, it was quite weird though because it was a city that just spoke of the cons. I mean, they, they'd... Me walking into a newsroom with a scarf on was just mind-boggling for people. What I did appreciate, though, was the fact that there were, like, the news editors and it was the um, managing director at the time. And he was actually from Cape Town. He was from Glimo. So Lyndon was like, you know what? Don't worry. I'm here. This is going to be okay, you know. I, I appreciated the support I got from people like Lyndon and, and Sean, who was also a Cape Townian. Um, I actually had two stints at OFM. I, I did my internship. And then shortly after I got engaged, actually, I went to OFM and I went to go and work there as a, as a, as a journalist. And that was also quite an experience because I think my mom felt I was running to Bloemfontein and I wasn't going to come back and get married. <laughs> so, but alhamdulillah, nine years later, I'm still here. And Kiri is still here, so that, that's quite good. But um, OFM honestly was 
it was a phenomenal a phenomenal experience. It was a mainstream music radio station. So if you think KFM and Highfield Studio, that's basically the sister station um, in in the Free State. The worst part for me though was um, besides the lack of halal food, it was New Year's Eve in Bloemfontein where everything closes at six o'clock the evening. So I remember like actually like a, you know winging in the New Year watching like the three amigos and probably eating like a very, very cold portion of Nando's that I bought at three in the afternoon. But um, yeah, that was kind of Bloemfontein for me. Last couple of questions. We want to honor your time. So Shinaz, what's your definition of success? Wow. Um, It's never been about the number of hits or likes on a Facebook page or about the number of visitors for traffic to a website or so for me. It's about, you know what, just knowing that I did my best. Um, I know it sounds very cheesy and people may not necessarily think that, um, you know, that that, um, that that's all it's, it's been for me. Um, one of the reasons why I also kind of stepped back from social media was because I didn't want people to say, oh, you know, she did it. You know, it's not about that. As I was telling you guys, that story, whether it was from Lesotho or spending time with Syrian refugees in, in Turkey, it's about it's their story. It's not mine. Mm-hmm. I'm merely just the the vehicle, you know, we that's that's passing the information through. But for me, success is just knowing really well that, you know, um, I made somebody happy. Whether it was through a story, a shade, or something I wrote, mm-hmm. or being able to interview a chieftain and she's telling you, you know, what you know, God sent you here today. Shanaz, as you know, um, accidentalmuslims.com. Uh, we're trying to create a, a platform, a, a, a reservoir of data for youngsters out there, yeah, um, particularly meticulous perhaps, mm. or maybe university students or people that became disillusioned with sound engineering. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what advice would you give prospective youth, uh, be it school leavers or uh, say disillusioned university students, they're not sure what they want to do two years into the degree. Any, any advice you want to share with them, particularly about your profession or your experiences? Um, I think the one thing is that don't um, feel like you failed. I think that's very, very important. It's quite easy to kind of listen to, you know, that kind of um, negative talk within a community or within your family structure. Maybe you've been studying for two years and you realize that, what well, I don't want to do BCom. I want to be an artist or so. You know, um, I, I think that for me, it was a matter of like finding something and this is where volunteering comes in. If you're not too sure whether you want to still be a lawyer, or, you know, go and volunteer, go and job shadow. There's so many opportunities available where you can actually just call the company and say, you know what, I actually want to just spend a few days here because I don't know what you do. And before you go and make that decision, you know, if you're in matric now, go and first go and investigate, go and do your research. Um, phone up companies, speak to people in, you know, that sector that you're interested in. When it comes to journalism, I mean, um, people are more than welcome to give me a call and, you know, I can, you know, whether you want to come and, you know, intern or just, you know, spend a few hours with me or so, you know, you're more than welcome to do that. But I feel that you don't give up hope because there's always, there's always a way. I realized, I learned that the hard way. If, if plan B, plan A doesn't work, there's plan B, there's plan C, there's all the way to plan Z, there's 26 mm. letters in the alphabet. But um, yeah, don't give up hope. Do your research. It's very, very important. You need to know what you're getting into. So if you think that you're going to make money off journalism, um, I can tell you now, honestly, no, you're not going to. <laughs> but um, yeah, do your research and 
um, just enjoy everything. Like try and take as many take up as many opportunities as possible, whether it is to volunteer at an organization or whether it is to working um, or, or attending clubs at school and things like that, where you get to experience maybe visiting an old age home or so. Um, take as take up as many opportunities as you can. Uh, Shanaz, you mentioned when you started the program. Master's degree, honors degree, back at university, went somewhere else. Continuous professional development, and by extension, I would say continuous personal development. How important is that? I think it's very, very important for me. I needed to do the masters for two for two people. One for my mom. Um, my mom wasn't, um, you know, growing up. She wasn't. Um, afforded the opportunity to go and study further so she would always tell me you know what I need I want you to go study I want you to go study so when I realized that sound engineering didn't quite work out I always felt that maybe I kind of disappointed her along the way right and for me it was like no 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 I need to make it right so it was always for to go further my mom always says you know you can do you can have as much money in the world but the one thing that people can't take away from you but you can lose that money but the one thing that people can't that people won't take away or can't take away is your education and for me that's kind of like my driving force when it comes to studying further the master's degree which is so weird because i posted about this today on social media um was kind of something that monadia you know it's a i think the third year third anniversary of a death today and it's like one of those very you know you kind of like sit back on the first of february and you think about you know like her legacy and i'm kind of part of that legacy you know because i've I've trained under her i've i think as like a journalist because of her and um the the last conversation i had with her and i was very fortunate was in the week um of her death was she said you know um you need to take my legacy forward. You need to continue my work at the radio stations. You've got to continue my interest and my desire to see Muslim media grow in South Africa. And I want you to finish your master's degree because with that degree, you have to help community media. Mm-hmm. And that was like quite a... And you you, you know, Munadia, she never she would have never allowed you to leave your, her house <laughs> without you saying yes, boss. <laughs> so, um, you know, I still feel like three years later into this degree, I... You know what, I actually thought of like dropping it somewhere along the way because it was really, really, it was all encompassing. Um, but Alhamdulillah, I'm, I see the light at the end of the tunnel and I know I'm doing it for my mom and for Monadia. So there's, uh, there's definitely a reason for, for that. You, you, you touched on to one of the questions I wanted to ask you about is how does one go about leaving a legacy? And is mm-hmm. it important now? You already touched on that. Um, is your latest project... Uh, Project Media Communications, is that part of capacity building yourself uh, for leaving that legacy that Munadia made you promise? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, I'll, pro- I'll write the challenge. Um, um, project Media Communications, um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's my legacy, but I think it's more about capacity building within the community. So um, it's ideally a platform or a vehicle that I'm using at the moment to try and build media skills within the community whether it is public speaking or writing or assisting community organizations with events management or developing a communications plan. Um, over the years, I've, I've, I've kind of absorbed all this information and all this experience. And I feel that um, my journey, in a sense, with with uh, working as a journalist and as a communications person, it's not, it's not over yet. So um, Project Media is kind of like my little pet project I've had since 2009. I've always had this idea to go back and give back because that's kind of been like my 
I don't know how can I say, but it's it's, it's kind of like being like my driving force with whatever I do. And um, so it's not so much my legacy. I wouldn't like to see it as my legacy, but it's merely an opportunity or a vehicle that the community can call on so that, you know, we can try and help them as best we can to achieve their objectives and their goals. If you have one day left and you know it's one more day, what will you say and to who will you say it? I actually just asked for a cup of coffee, like a really good cup of coffee. Like just like let me chill with a good cup of coffee. <laughs> because life is too short for bad coffee, guys. Really, life is too short for bad. So I know you wanted something philosophical, but really I'm just going to ask for that one cup of, you know, uh, double shot cappuccino. <laughs> that's perfect. But that's what we love. It's something different. So you just want coffee. I just, just want coffee. coffee. Okay, good lovely, cup of lovely, coffee. lovely, lovely. Good cup of coffee. Shadaz, uh, it's been a pleasure having you here. Um, I know I speak for Khalil as well. Uh, we make dua that uh, Allah puts barakah in everything that you do. Allah protects you and your family. And I have no doubt that Auntie Kulsum and Uncle Ali will be proud of you if they're listening to this. Um, she was a good girl, alhamdulillah. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we just hope that uh, you continue with your work. It's important work. And uh, no doubt, I know I learned just sitting here uh, listening to you. And I have no doubt that the listeners of AccidentalMuslims.com will learn as well. Shukran. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to kind of take over your space for a bit. But I'm hoping to um, listen to more of your podcasts because I really feel that that is the future of our Muslim media in in South Africa. And, you know, whenever you guys are ready and you want to take it to the next step, give us a call at Project Media. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for today's show. We hope you added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests has inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum.